we're in the book of Job. You didn't bring a Bible with you. Please grab one from under a seat right there by you. Job chapter 22. For those of you who have been with us as we've studied throughout the book of Job, again, Job facing um, tragedy like, like few have ever faced. Again, we talked about the fact that, you know, all of these things that have come against him up to and including probably the, well, no doubt, I think the worst of all of it, all 10 of his children killed in one, one tragic event and all of these things happening and, and the physical pain that he's in and, and these friends of his that have gathered around him and the advice we've talked about that they've been giving to him and it's just this round and around and around. Well, tonight we begin round three uh, as the tag team approach on, on Job. And again, as we've talked from the beginning, there the the counsel that they bring to him some a lot of the things that they say there's not there's nothing inherently wrong in what they're saying the problem is it's wrong for job i mean they're assuming that job is going through all of this pain suffering because of wickedness unrepented sin um sin that he knows about and that he's just hiding from them and they keep trying to say you can't hide it from god and if you confess we're going to see that again eliphaz jumps right back on the same boat and the the it just keeps coming. Well, the 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 problem is that's not true. We see that right away in chapter one. I mean, the the it says nothing to do with Job's unrighteousness. As a matter of fact, um, we'll see in a in a moment. And, and um, well, we'll see in a moment. <laughs> chapter twenty two again. Chapter twenty one finished. You know, Job challenging them again that they're they're. Theory is full of holes. He says, well, you can just go around. As a matter of fact, talk to people who travel all over the place. They'll tell you wicked people prosper all over the place. And people who are righteous suffer. Everywhere you go, you see examples of that. And that's kind of where he leaves off, you know, their, their, his verse 34 of chapter 21. How then will you vainly comfort me for your answers remain full of falsehood? Then Eliphaz, the Temanite, responded. Can a vigorous man be of use to God or a wise man be useful to himself? Is there any pleasure to the Almighty if you are righteous or profit if you make your ways perfect? Eliphaz is approaching this from, from the vantage point that a lot of people do. A lot of people in the world today that, that are, are not maybe not agnostic, not, not atheist, believe in a, in a creator, but a lot of people believe that God is just a distant God, that he you know, kind of wound everything all up and kind of just let it go, and he really doesn't care. He's, he's un, uncaring. He's uninvolved. And many people thought that, and no doubt in, in Job's time, that was widespread as well. And that's kind of Eliphaz's point here. You know, he, what he's saying in this is, there, is there anything that you could do, Job, that could actually bring pleasure to God? I mean, is there, is there anything that you would do that would bring profit or blessing to God? And remember, we talked about this. We don't have, Job and his friends didn't have the blessing that you and I do to hold the written living word of God. As a matter of fact, evidence shows that Job probably lived around the time of Abraham. I mean, there was, nothing was written down yet. Moses wouldn't come around to write the first five books for hundreds of years. So the fact that, that, we hold in our hands this amazing truth. And guys, there's verse after verse after verse. Several Psalms I was reading today. I was going to read through them today, but just for the sake of time, know they're there and I'll give you the homework. Go find them. 
God is blessed by us. He takes great pleasure in his people. And we'll look at that again in, in, a, in a little bit as well as, you know, some of the specific things that, I, that, that just blow me away with all of that. But is there any pleasure to the Almighty if you are righteous? Yes. <laughs> yes, there's great pleasure that is brought to our Creator, our Redeemer, our King when we are obedient, when we do those things, when we walk in a manner worthy of the amazing gift that he has given to us in eternal life. But verse 4, I think, and kind of brings along where I said we'd get to in a moment. Is it because of your reverence that he reproves you, that he enters into judgment against you? Because Job has been saying, I haven't done anything that I know of. I, I believe that, that I've lived a life before God and those things, I keep a very short account with God. When I sin, I take care, I, you know, I go to him. And, and so there's nothing that is open there. And so... The question is, is it because of your reverence that he reproves you? And the problem again in that question is the word reprove. Because we can misunderstand things at times too. And we can ask those same kind of questions when, when, we're, when we're living for God, we're walking for God. And even when we're in those times, but man, everything, everything just seems to be great in my relationship with the Lord. And then difficulties come and trials come. And we can say, is it because, because I'm walking with you and doing things right that I'm being reproved by you? And the answer would come, no, it's, it's not that you're being reproved. As a matter of fact... <laughs> Jesus says this in John chapter 15. I am the true vine and my father is the vine dresser. Every branch in me that does not bear fruit, he takes away. And every branch that bears fruit, he prunes it so that it will bear more fruit. There's times in our lives when we're bearing fruit for the Lord and, and, and things are, are going well. And then all of a sudden it's this the trial comes and it's, and it's difficult. And we can look at it one of two ways. The wrong way, we can listen to the world or we can listen to the enemy that says, yeah, no, see, God's really upset with you. Or we could look at it from what the Bible tells us, what the Lord is teaching to us is saying, no, I'm doing this so that you will bear more fruit. And if we will simply follow, as Jesus continues to say, you are already clean because of the word which I have spoken to you. Abide in me and I in you. As the branch cannot bear fruit of itself unless it abides in the vine, so neither can you unless you abide in me. So Jesus is saying our response to that pruning is important. Because if we disconnect, if we say, you know what, this is crazy. I don't want anything to do with this. The fruit won't come. But if we embrace what it is that God is doing, the pruning in our lives, and we abide in the Lord, and we run to him, we cling even tighter to him and receive the power that he gives to us, guys, the fruit that comes is eternal. He goes on to say, even, even on later, he goes, you know, you didn't choose me, but I chose you and appointed you that you would go and bear fruit, and the fruit that you would bear would remain. But understanding as it's laid out here, this isn't reproving. This is pruning that's going on. And we'll see the process, the, what, that, what that produces when we get to the end of the book. So often we can, we can think that, again, the trials, the difficulties that we get into are because of the fact that we're outside of the will of God. And we can, if we're, if we're not careful, we can end up outthinking ourselves. Guys, never forget this. I, I love one of the basic truths in the story of, of the disciples when they're in the middle of the, the storm, the raging storm in the Sea of Galilee. 
They're in the middle of the worst storm that those guys had ever faced. They're fishermen. They're used to storms, but they were so panicked because of the storm that they were facing. They thought they were going to die. Do you know why they were in that storm? Because they were obedient. Jesus said, get in the boat and go to the other side. (laughs) They're in the middle of the storm because of obedience. Yet the Lord again showed them so many things through all of that. And again, the some of these things that, that we continue to, that he works through in this argument could make some sense, except they're absolutely wrong, especially when dealing with, with Job. Anyway, verse five, he really cranks it up here. Remember, we've talked as we've been going through this before where they've, they've kind of masked their shots at Job. They say, the wicked do this and the wicked do that. Well, he takes the gloves off now. Is it not your wickedness that is great? and your iniquities without end. For you have taken pledges of your brothers without cause. You've taken collateral, you've taken money from them without cause, and stripped men naked. To the weary, you have given no water to drink. From the hungry, you have withheld bread. You've had it within your possession to help people, and you've withheld it. But the earth belongs to the mighty man. And the honorable man dwells in it. You have sent widows away empty and the strength of the orphans has been crushed because of you. Therefore, snares surround you and sudden dread terrifies you or darkness so that you cannot see and an abundance of water covers you. Again, he gets real direct, real personal with the accusations. Problem? Not one of them's true. And gosh, that that just... (laughs) How does somebody get to this point other than, again, he initially is coming and then it keeps coming back and it's just, it's pride. That's the only thing that I can come to with Eliphaz. And that's one of the things is God would use us as tools and instruments to come alongside one another. Guys, pride can have absolutely no, no business in it. I mean, this, this is just, this is just craziness as to what he is. He is going, he has, he hasn't witnessed any of these things. This is something that he is bringing all out. And I have no doubt who's behind it. Because we're going to see in a second that, that even as he brings it, this is trying, Satan's trying to feed this whole plot. And so the one thing that I'll hand to Eliphaz and the other guys is at least they're doing it to his face. They're not talking these things behind his back. They're bringing it right to him. Verse 12, is not God in the height of heaven? Look also at the distant stars, how high they are. You say. What does God know? How can he judge through the thick darkness? Job's never even insinuated that. What he's saying is your responses to all of this, your your heart, your attitude is I can get away with this. God's not going to know. But again, Job has never even insinuated that. As a matter of fact, if anything, he has said, God knows everything I'm going through, every struggle. All I want to know is why. Clouds are hiding a place for him so that he cannot see. And he walks on the vaults in the vault of heaven. Like he's, he's way up there. He's distant. He doesn't care. But again, that's not Job's heart. Will you keep to the ancient path, which wicked men have trod? You're going to keep going down the same road as all wicked people before you who were snatched away before their time, whose fountains were washed away by a river. They say to God, depart from us. And what can the almighty do to them? Yet he filled their houses with good things, but the counsel of the wicked is far from me. The righteous see and are glad and the innocent mock them. So he said, 
They're gonna, they come to an end. All of these wicked people who had the same attitude as you do, Job, God dealt with them. They died early on and all the righteous people rejoiced because they saw that, that God is, is just and he deals with it the way that we all think he does. The innocent mock them saying, truly our adversaries are cut off and their abundance the fire has consumed. So here comes the advice, the same advice that they've given before. Yield now and be at peace with him. Thereby good will come to you. So humble yourself, Job. Repent and God will bless you. Please receive instruction from his mouth and establish his words in your heart. Remember that verse. We'll come back to that in a little bit. If you return to the Almighty, you will be restored. If you remove unrighteousness far from your tent and place your gold in the dust and the gold of Ophir among the stones of the brooks, then the Almighty will be your gold and choice silver to you. Again, here's how I know, guys, that this is the enemy. Because isn't that what the enemy's accusation was to God about Job? The only reason he loves you and serves you is because you bless him. You take his blessings away, he'll curse you to your face. Remember, that's what he said. So here now, Eliphaz is saying, here's all you got to do, Job. (laughs) Just just humble yourself, then you'll get all the blessings back. And we're going to see Job's response says, I can't do that. I'm a man of integrity. I can't do that. For then you will delight in the Almighty and lift up your face to God. You will pray and he will hear you and you will pray your, and you will pay your vows. You will also decree a thing and it will be established for you. Name it and claim it. And light will shine on your ways. When you are cast down, you will speak with confidence and the humble person he will save. He will deliver one who is not innocent and he will be delivered through the cleanness of your hands. Now, again, there's, there is truth in this if someone is, is in disobedience, is living in sin, and God is dealing with as he does with the son. And we talked about this many times. Hebrews 12 talks about that. God disciplines those whom he loves. He has to because of, because of the love he has for us. He's not going to allow us to continue in, in sin, in a lifestyle that's not pleasing to him, in a way that is, that's not honoring to him, that will hurt, harm us or others because he loves us. He'll deal with that. And if those things are true in our lives, we should come alongside and, and, and counsel one another to, to deal with those things, to repent, to humble ourselves. The truth, that, that's true. The humble person he will save. The Bible says that he, he resists the proud, but he gives grace to the humble if you'll humble yourself. If there's sin in our life and we deal with that sin in our life, we can get to the point where God hears our prayers again. We talked about that a couple weeks ago. Isaiah talks of that in in other places where it's not that he can't hear us, but he won't hear us. He won't respond to our prayer because, again, if he does, what he's saying in that is, go ahead, just keep doing what you're doing, and, and I'll bless you anyway. And what godly, loving parent would do that to their own child, much less our heavenly, holy, almighty Father God, that he would treat us that way. Big problem, though, again, it's not the case with Job. This is all happening for a totally different reason. That once again, Job will never get the answer why. He'll just find out more and more about how amazing his, his God is. Well, chapter 23, Job now replying. Even today, my complaint is rebellion. His hand is heavy 
despite my groaning. And, you know, again, his response is, okay, you still don't get it. You're bringing all of this against me, even today, even after all of this, even today, still as I bring this, it's still heavy. There has been no relief whatsoever. Oh, that I knew where I might find him, that I might come to his seat. As only somebody who is righteous can truly say and mean that. You know, I, I, I want to go and I want to I come before God. I, 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 really, I would really like to find an answer that I might come to his seat. I would present my case before him and fill my mouth with arguments. And what he's saying there is I'd love to be able to present my situation and truly honestly say, God, I don't know what I did. I really want to be restored. I really want to have our relationship. And we'll, we see this again a little bit, that it's the relationship, the separation from what, what he feels that God is, that's been severed in their relationship is what he wants restored. It's not about the money. It's not about the blessing. It's about the relationship that, that he's feeling just in this dark spot. And he just wants, he just says, Lord, please show me. I would learn the words which he would answer and perceive what he would say to me. I I, I want to hear it. (laughs) Would he contend with me by the greatness of his power, (laughs) like you guys? (laughs) Would Would he just be hammering on me? No, he says. Surely he would pay attention to me. And that carries with it the idea of, of hearing, but then responding. Um, helping, strengthening. Hebrews chapter four. Again, remember, Job doesn't have Hebrews chapter four, but we do. Therefore, verse 14, since we have so great a high priest who has passed through the heavens, Jesus, the son of God, let us hold fast our confession. For we do not have a high priest who cannot sympathize with our weaknesses, but one who has been tempted in all things as we are, yet without sin. Therefore, let us draw near with confidence to the throne of grace, so that we may receive mercy and find grace to help in time of need. It's amazing that without Hebrews chapter 4, Job gets it. He understands. If I could only. If I could only get there, I know that I would receive what it is that I need. And if you'll remember several times, we've talked about that. He, he had a glimpse. God reveals these things to him. He says, I, I, I need someone. I need a mediator. If only someone would mediate between me and God. Well, the New Testament reveals who that mediator is, right? There is one God and one, and one mediator between God and man, the man, Christ Jesus. If there would be an, if I could have an advocate, he cried out for. And first John tells us that, that when we sin, we have an advocate with the father. And here he's saying, man, if I could, if I could just get myself to the throne of glory, I know that he'd hear me. I know that he would respond. There the upright would reason with him and I would be delivered forever from my judge. Behold. I go forward, but he is not there, and backward, but I cannot perceive him. 
When he acts on the left, I cannot behold him. He turns on the right and I cannot see him. What he's saying here, he kind of gives the idea of in every direction that he goes. He knows God is there, but he can't see him. He can't sense him. He can't feel his action. I go forward. I, he's not there. I go, I go back. I, I don't say, I, I, know he's, I know he's doing something over here, but I can't, you know, and kind of this idea that I know that God is eternal. I know that he's everywhere. And he's struggling in this. And notice verse 10, but he knows the way I take. Eliphaz was telling him, God is distant. He doesn't care. He doesn't know. You think you can do anything to please him? And he's saying, but I know. I know that, that he knows. I know he knows the, the way that I take. Psalm 139, you, probably, you, you know it well, but he says this, Oh Lord, you have searched me and known me. You know when I sit down and when I rise up. You understand my thought from afar. You scrutinize my path and my lying down. He's not just a casual observer. And are intimately acquainted with all my ways. Even before there is a word on my tongue, behold, O Lord, you know it all. You have enclosed me behind and before and laid your hand upon me. Such knowledge is too wonderful for me. It is too high. I cannot attain it. And again, Job, Job understands this. And this is why he's wrestling so much with this, this whole process. He has tried me. I shall come forth as gold. You know, there's some of these verses that just come out here and that, that just jump off the page. And this is one of them. In the midst of all of this, yet he still knows. There's still something. That the, the spirit of God in him saying, Job, at the end of all of this, you will be blessed. Regardless of where we are in our walk, regardless of those, we can hold on to the promises of God. We know God works all things together for good. He who began a good work in you will complete it. I mean, the, the God, God is a God of, of covenant. God is a God of promises, and we hold on to those. Even in the midst of this, Job is holding on to these. Verse 11, my foot has held fast to his path. Reminds me of Psalm 18. Verse 33, it says, he makes my feet like hinds feet and sets me upon high places. He gives me the feet that I need to walk the paths that I'm on. He trains my hands for battle so that my arms can bend a bow of bronze. You have also given me the shield of your salvation. Your right hand upholds me. Your gentleness makes me great. Here, verse 36, Psalm 18, you enlarge my steps under me and my feet have not slipped. He... <laughs> Our foot's coming down and it feels like it's so narrow, but he enlarges the step under us. My foot is held fast to the path, not because of my foot, but because of the one who controls the path. I have kept his way and not turned aside. I have not departed from the command of his lips. Remember verse 22, I told you to remember that. He says, when Eliphaz was giving him advice, please receive instruction from his mouth and establish his words in your heart. If you'll just simply do that, everything will be fine. But he says here, I've not departed from the command of his lips. Now, we don't know what it was he was referring to there. Obviously, we know that, that God had, had spoken through, through people and through times and passed on. We don't know if there was some type of written 
word of God already then that, was, that, that we don't have copies of, but we know obviously handed on down from, the, from generation to generation in the understanding that he has of here. I have treasured his words, the words of his mouth. Notice this, more than my necessary food. I, God's word to me is so important. It's even more important to me than my daily physical nutrition is my spiritual nutrition. That is, guys, that's so important. And here I am telling you guys that. The Wednesday night group that's here on a Wednesday night study in Job. Obviously, you have, a, you have an understanding of how important God's word is, that, we, that, that the nourishment that we receive from, from every bit of it, every bit of it. You know, I, I, t- I can't tell you how much it blesses me to see you guys here studying Job. <laughs> I mean, that's just, and, and, and how blessed I am when going through this. As somebody had asked me earlier about, about tonight, and I said, you know, the funny thing is, I have, to, I have confession, just don't tell anybody. That's just between you and me. The, several weeks, and, it, and it's happened before, and I'll tell you, when we were going through the Pentateuch, you get, you know, Genesis, yeah, awesome, Exodus, cool, but get way about halfway through Exodus, and it's kind of like I, I thought anyway, you know, I, when I used to live in Colorado and went to college in Iowa, you know, you're driving and you're in the mountains, and you look back and you look in the rearview mirror and you can still see the mountains, it's beautiful, but eventually you get to the point where you can't see the mountains anymore, and all you see is... I kind of thought that's how it was halfway through Exodus, all the way through Leviticus, Numbers, Deuteronomy, you know, saying, man, I can't wait to get to Joshua. But I'll tell you what, so blessed every week as we went through that. And the same is true with Job. Like I said, confession time. I'm like, okay, here we go. I know what we're going to get from Eliphaz. And I know what we're going to get from Job. And then Bildad, the shoe height, he's coming up too. We know what he's going to say. And, but man, it's just amazing to me how God just, opens up his word to us if we're simply willing to receive what it is that he has. And if we treasure his word and we look to that more so than we would what we're going to eat physically, knowing the nourishment that we receive from his word, his living word. But, verse 13, but he is unique. God alone, he is, you know, again, that idea of absolute holiness. And who can turn him? Who, could, who can change God's mind? Who can get him to go a different direction? Praise God, the answer is no one. And what his soul desires, that he, done, that he does. For he performs what is appointed for me. Now, Job's coming through all of this again, talking about all of these things, but he touches on these, these things in these couple of verses, the sovereignty of God. He, he's unique, he's holy, he's separate, he's totally other. Who can turn him? No one can. What his soul desires, that he does. And he performs what is appointed for me. Now, when we think of the sovereignty of God, again, there's... I, I'm blown away by it. I just absolutely, I love and embrace it. Um, we have time to do this. So turn with, me, turn with me to Ephesians. Ephesians chapter one. The sovereignty 
The sovereignty of God. He is in control. Ephesians chapter 1, beginning in verse 3, it says, Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, who has blessed us with every spiritual blessing in the heavenly places in Christ. Verse 4, just as he chose us in him before the foundation of the world, that we would be holy and blameless before him. In love. He predestined us to adoption as sons through Jesus Christ to himself, according to the kind intention of his will. He predestined us to the adoption as sons and daughters through the, according to the kind intention of his will. He chooses us, verse 6, to be to the praise and glory of his grace, which he freely bestowed on us in the beloved in which we have redemption through his blood, the forgiveness of our trespasses according to the riches of his grace, which he lavished on us in all wisdom and insight. Verse 9, he made known to us the mystery of his will according to his kind intention, which he purposed in him with view to an administration suitable to the fullness of times that is the summing up of all things in Christ, things in the heavens and things on the earth. Verse 11, also, we have obtained an inheritance, having been predestined according to his purpose, who works all things after the counsel of his will. Verse 11, again, tells us that God is sovereign. He works all things according to the counsel of his will. And when we look back through all of the verses that we just read through very quickly, notice all of the things that are ours because he's sovereign. We can know that they're ours. His, the inheritance, the, the, the adoption, the spiritual blessing, all of these things are ours because he's sovereign, because he's in control. Nothing can change the plans and purposes of God. Now, and this leading up to that, now just look over to chapter 2, verse 10, because I, I, I just I love this verse. For we are his workmanship, created in Christ Jesus for good works, which God prepared beforehand so that we would walk in them. Sovereign, almighty God, designed before the foundation of the world that you and I would be predestined us and then he laid out for us things that we would walk in, things that we would do. He lays it all out. And then here's the kicker, guys. We get the blessing. We get the reward. And how certain is us receiving the reward? He's a sovereign God. Like I said, I mean, this whole sovereignty thing is really awesome. It is really, really cool. Now, I make a big deal out of that because also with sovereignty is the things that we don't understand, the trials, the testing. It's not hard to, again, when we get into this stuff again with, with Job that he's here, he's not talking about the great path that's down there and the rewards that are coming. No, he's in the middle of it. That's, he performs all of this stuff, what is appointed for me. He's allowing all of this stuff to happen. But again, we have to understand, again, as children of God, there's a purpose behind it. There's, there's plan behind it. There, there, are, there are boundaries around it. He's going, he, 
He's on the difficult side of the sovereignty of God equation. And I'm, I, I say that because, guys, we find ourselves in that often. We could say, like, God, if you're a sovereign God, why are you allowing this to happen? And his answer would be if we would hear it as, I'm a sovereign God, that's why I'm allowing it to happen. I thought you loved me. Why is this happening? It's happening because I love you. You don't understand it, and you won't understand it yet. Someday, as I've, I've said it often, I, you know, you think of the trials and the difficulties that we go through, and you go through all of this with Job. I can guarantee this as much as I'm sitting here right now, that when we get there and you talk, walk up to Job, he will not say, yeah, that was a pretty raw deal. Won't be a word about it. But in the midst of it, in the middle of the storm, and that's, again, I appreciate this so much about the way that, that God records his word because he could leave a lot of this stuff out. But he included it all, including the desperation that he feels. He performs what is appointed for me and many such decrees are with him. Therefore, I would be dismayed at his presence. When I consider, I am terrified of him. It is God who has made my heart faint and the Almighty who has dismayed me. Again, that's not true, but that's his feeling, and that's what he's pouring out. Again, God could leave that out, but he leaves it in, I believe, because there's times when we feel that way. need to realize where that's coming from. But I am not silenced by the darkness nor deep gloom which covers me. Now, Job in chapter 24 is going to talk about the fact that it seems like God gives a pass to, 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 to wickedness and, and, and overlooks things that are done, the wrong things that are done. Why are times not stored up by the Almighty? Why does it seem like they're hidden from him? And why do those who, who know him not see his days? Why are they in like his own situation? Like I know him and I'm not seeing the blessing. Some remove landmarks. Those, he's talking about those that would move, move a boundary stone, their neighbors so that they could get more property, basically stealing land from their neighbor. Seize and devour flocks. They drive away the donkeys of the orphans. They, they run them away. They take the widow's ox for a pledge. Like, her last, her last thing, they take it as collateral. They push the needy aside from the road. The poor of the land are made to hide themselves altogether. Behold, as wild donkeys in the wilderness, they go forth seeking food in their activity. Because, because of the, work, the actions of the wicked, those that, that are needy, they're caused to, have to having to go out and search in the wilderness for their very sustenance. They go forth seeking food in their activity as bread for their children in the desert. They harvest their fodder in the field. They glean the vineyard of the wicked. They spend the night naked without clothing and have no covering against the cold. They are wet with the mountain rains and, and hug the rock for want of shelter. Others snatch the orphan from the breast, basically the, even taking the last um, child of a, of a widow as again, if a, if that, and that was common in that time, if, if you owed money and you couldn't pay, 
that you or your children would go into slavery to that person. And this is saying the wicked would even take the last child from a, from a widow if her, the, the husband had a debt that couldn't be paid. And against the poor, they, they take a pledge. They cause the poor to go about naked without clothing, and they take away the sheaves from the hungry. Within the walls, they produce oil. They tread, they tread wine presses, but thirst. This, this speaking of the, the poor, they're trying to do whatever they can to even squeeze out a little oil or, or a little bit of something to drink, but they thirst. From the city, men groan, and the souls of the wounded cry out, yet God does not pay attention to folly. And again, not true. He's... He's kind of buying into some of this a little bit that, you know, he was just talking about, he knows the way I take. He knows all of this back earlier, but then as he starts to reflect on it and, and starts to get into, it, get into the flesh and start listening to the external sources, yeah, maybe God doesn't pay attention to all of this. Others have been with those who rebelled against the light. They do not want to know its ways nor abide in its paths. Speaks, he starts describing those that, that act in this way. The murderer rises at dawn. He kills the poor and the needy. And at night, he is a thief. The eye of the adulterer waits for twilight, doesn't want anybody to see, saying, no one will see me. And he disguises his face. In the dark, they dig into houses. They shut themselves up by day. They do not know the light. They break into homes. They steal. For the morning is the same to him as thick darkness, and he is familiar with the terrors of thick darkness. They are insightful on the surface of the water. Their portion is cursed on the earth. They do not turn toward the vineyards. Again, talking now about just the way that they, they go about their business. They go about stealing and no one knows. They, they, they're doing all of this stuff in the darkness as though it were shielded somehow from God. Drought and heat consume the snow waters as does Sheol, those who have sinned. And now he's speaking of they do receive, they do come to their end. It's not like they get away with it forever. A mother will forget him. The worm feeds sweetly till he is no longer remembered. That's a picture. The wickedness will be broken like a tree. He wrongs the barren woman and does no good for the widow. He drags off the valiant by his power. He rises, but no one has assurance of life. So he's, what he's saying is, again, nobody has assurance of life, not even the righteous. He's speaking of the demise of the, of the wicked eventually. But notice he says in verse 23, he, God, provides them with security and they are supported and his, God's eyes are on their ways. So he's, he's saying it's, it's as though God doesn't pay attention, but he does see. And it even is though he protects them. And we, we know the Bible's, Bible is clear. God sends rain on the just and the unjust. It's not necessarily because of, of the way that it's all laid out for them. He keeps, he keep, basically, again, Job is coming back with the same argument that he has had. You don't have to go very far to see that, that some are some, wicked people. They prosper, at least for a while. And even the righteous suffer. They are exalted a little while, then they are gone. Moreover, they are brought low, like everything gathered up, even the heads of the grain that are cut off. And so now he brings back the argument to them. Now, if it is not so, who can prove me a liar and make my speech worthless? He says, again, laying it out one more time for them. <laughs> if, it's, if you can't prove, prove me wrong, 
show me where my, my argument has any holes in it. And remember, the reason why they keep coming back to this argument of righteous are blessed. If there's, if there's, if there's tra- tragedy, that's, that's because of wickedness in your life. And all you have to do is turn back to God and bless because that puts God in a box I understand. And as long as I stay on over here, I'm never going to have to have any problems. That's why they're so vehemently arguing against it because if, if Job is right, this same thing could happen to them. Chapter 25, our last, the last we hear of Bildad the Shuhite, and it's only six verses. <laughs> then Bildad the Shuhite answered, Dominion and awe belong to him, God. All power, all majesty, and total reverence belong to him, who establishes, who establishes peace in his height. Is there any number to his troops, to his power, to his army, to his angels, to to his angelic power? And the answer to that is no. One angel killed 185,000 Assyrian troops in one night. I think the only reason he didn't kill more is because there weren't any more. He killed them all. And that's one angel. And upon whom does does his light not rise? No one. He's everywhere. His light is everywhere. How then can a man be just with God? He's perfect. He's holy. How can man stand up toe-to-toe, nose-to-nose with God? Or how can he be clean who is born of a woman? If even the moon has no brightness and the stars are not pure in his sight, if his brightness, if his purity, if his light makes the moon and the stars look dark, how, can, how could man ever stand up to that? And verse 6, how much less a man, that maggot, and the son of man, that worm. At least, at least Bildad's putting himself in the same category. He didn't say the wicked man. I mean, he's, and bottom line, these, first, these six verses, again, I, I appreciate Job's response. Like I said before, I, I like Job's kind of sarcasm. But I can... My initial response would be, I mean, I, again, I, I, think I put my, try to put myself in the situation. I have no argument with that. That's not my question. <laughs> I, does anybody else get frustrated when you watch debates and the question is asked and they talk for 15 minutes and never answer the question? And that's not what I asked. And that's what Job, Job says, if this is not, prove me a liar. Make my speech worthless. Is, can anybody do that? And then Bildad goes on with this. And, okay, awesome. Yeah, I agree with everything you just said. That's not what I asked. Chapter 26, Job responds. And Job now will respond for several chapters. We are done hearing from the three musketeers. We're going we're gonna to be introduced to another guy who jumps into the fray. But we're done with these three guys until God deals with them. Chapter 26, Job responds, what a help you are to the weak. How you have saved the arm without strength. What counsel you have given to one without wisdom. (laughs) Again, I said, I just dripping with sarcasm. What helpful insight you have abundantly provided. To whom have you uttered these words and whose spirit 
was expressed through you. Again, who, are you ta- who do you think you're talking to? You don't think I know these things? After all of this time we've spent together, haven't I said these same things over and over myself? The departed spirits tremble under the waters and their inhabitants. And now he's going to start talking about how awesome and amazing God is. Naked is Sheol before him, and Abaddon has no covering. He stretches out the north over empty space and hangs the earth on nothing. As I, rem- as I remind you, Job is quite possibly the first recorded book that we have, especially as, as far as, as history, when you take outside of Genesis, Job probably lived around the time of Abraham. And notice again, he understands almighty God, the creator God, hangs the earth on nothing. It wasn't all that long ago that our brilliant scientists and the brilliant minds of the world thought that Atlas held the earth on his shoulders. And those who thought that was stupid because who's holding Atlas up thought an elephant held it up and a turtle held up the elephant. What held up the turtle? Didn't matter because that's all that fit on the page. So that the earth hangs on nothing. He wraps up the waters in his clouds and the cloud does not burst under them. He understands this, this incredible, unexplainable truth. I, I, I read this a while back. It wasn't when we were in Job. If you, if you heard it before, you'll, again, I, I read it again today. It just, this is amazing to me. But it's talking about that. It's talking about rain and it being such a, an unsearchable wonder when you really think about it. Picture yourself as a farmer in the Near East. So that we're going to put ourselves right in this situation where Job is. Far from any lake or stream, a few wells keep the family and animals supplied with water. But if the crops are to grow and the family is to be fed from month to month, water has to come on the fields from another source. From where? Well, the sky. The sky. Water will come out of the clear blue sky? Well, not exactly. Water will have to be carried in the sky from the Mediterranean Sea over several hundred miles, then be poured out of the sky onto the field. Carried? How much does it weigh? Well, if one inch of rain falls on one square mile of farmland during the night, that would be 27,878, no, I'm sorry, yeah, 28,000, 28,878,400 cubic feet of water, which is 206,300,160 gallons. That's one inch, one square mile, which is... 1,650,501,280 pounds of water in a cloud to put one inch of rain on one square mile. That's heavy. So how does it get up in the sky and stay up there if it's so heavy? Well, it gets up there by evaporation. Really? Well, that's a nice word. What does it mean? It means that the water sort of stops being water for a while so that it can go up, not down. Then how does it get down? 
Well, condensation happens. What's that? The water starts becoming water again by gathering around little dust particles between 0.00001 and 0.0001 centimeters wide. That's small. What about the salt? Salt, yes, the Mediterranean is salt water. That would kill the crops. What about the salt? Well, the salt has to be taken out. So the sky picks up a billion pounds of water from the sea, takes out the salt, then carries it 300 miles, and then dumps it on the farm. Well, it doesn't dump it. If it dumped a billion water, pounds of water on the farm, the wheat would be crushed. So the sky dribbles the billion pounds of water down in little drops that are big enough to make it all the way to the ground, but not too big to destroy the crop when it gets there without evaporating on the way down. So how do all these microscopic specks of water that weigh a billion pounds get heavy enough to fall? If that's the way to ask the question, well, it's called coalescence. What's that? It means that the specks of water start bumping into each other and join up and get bigger. And when they get big enough, they fall. Just like that? Well, not exactly. Because they would just bounce off each other instead of joining up. So there, if there were no electric field present, what? Never mind. Take my word for it. I'm just reading it now. <laughs> And again, that's where the lightning comes in and the alpha. I mean, it's just, it's unbelievable. And that's just to bring one inch of rain on one square mile. And you know what? That just all happens by chance. Randomly over billions of years. <laughs> he wraps up the waters in his clouds and the cloud does not burst under them. He obscures the face of the full moon. He spreads his cloud over it. He has inscribed a circle on the surface of the waters. Again, here it's already indicating that, that Job knew, and so did most back then, that the world's round, wasn't flat. Took us a long time to figure it out, though. At the boundary of light and darkness on the horizon, the pillars of heaven tremble and are amazed at his rebuke. He quieted the sea with his power. He understood that when the sea is raging and then the storm calms, it's by God's word. And by understanding, he shattered Rahab. Now, Rahab, that is a name that is given for a proud one or a turbulent one. It's not speaking of Rahab the harlot. That's many, many years later. By his breath, the heavens are cleared and his hand has pierced the fleeing serpent. Behold. These are the fringes of his ways. <laughs> that ex explanation of rain, guys, that's just the tip of the tip of the tip. <laughs> Only a glimpse. And how faint a word we hear of him, but his mighty thunder, who can understand? Job says again, he's, <laughs> he's almighty God. He is. He's unexplainable. His ways are beyond completely finding out. But again, I'm just blown away. And I, I just, I love the fact, again, I, and I appreciate Job. I appreciate what he's in. But the fact that you and I can gather together and here's the word of this living, all-powerful God as he reveals himself to us. And his desire is for us to know more of him and to be blown away by, by him and to trust him as we go through the things in our life, knowing that all-powerful, almighty God is sovereign and in control. He loves us, loves us so much that he gave his only son to die for us to ensure the fact that we will be with him 
forever and ever. You got a lot of questions for Job. The great thing is you got eternity to ask him. We're going to see him. We're going to be there someday with him. And again, just almighty, all-powerful God. You're going through it. He knows. He's not distant. He's not uncaring. He's not capricious. (laughs) There's a reason. There's a purpose. Trust him in it. Go to him knowing that he'll go to the throne of, of grace, mercy, finding the grace that you need in time of need. He's, he's there. Let's pray. God, you are an awesome God. And even looking at something as simple as rain shows that it's not simple at all. It's beyond, it's almost beyond our ability to embrace it. But God, that's how you are. To you, that's nothing. That's the fringe. Lord, when we look up at the sky and we see it and know that we can't even begin with our naked eye to begin to see what is all out there, and yet you know every star by name. Lord, in the midst of all of that immense galaxy that just seems to go on forever and ever and ever, full of billions and trillions of, of stars, Lord, here we are in the middle of, on this little speck. And you know every hair that's on our head. You know every, every detail that we go through. And you care deeply. You are intimately acquainted with all of our way. Lord, teach us to trust you in the midst of trials and difficulties. Lord, teach us as, as Job did, to, to desire your word even more than our next meal. Embracing the, the nourishment that we get from even just a little time in your word. If we go with the right heart, willing to hear from you, God, you are so faithful to show yourself. Thank you. Thank you for who you are. Thank you for your faithfulness. Thank you for your word. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. God bless you guys. Have a good rest of the week.